Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Tom Brady is an American football player. And uh, he was interviewed one day. And uh, in a candid interview, the person interviewing him simply asked him a question. And uh, he turned around, he looked at Tom Brady, he said, um, he began to interview this man and he began to make this statement. He said, there has got to be more to life than this. And uh, it's interesting because here's a man who was extremely gifted. Here's a man who was extremely talented. Here's a man who had everything an affluent athlete would aspire to have. And yet in this interview, he simply throws this comment and he says, there has to be more to life than this. There have been many rich, famous, wealthy individuals. There was a fashion model that was interviewed recently. And after winning a contest, they had splashed her image across numbers of different magazines. It made her rich. It made this woman hugely famous. And she went on and she said, I finally achieved my biggest dream. The dream I always wanted, but when I finally got there, it wasn't all I thought it would be. A few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, Brother Danny sent this to me. It was a story about a small tourist island village where a talented local musician lived in. The musician would play at a bar for minimal wage. So one day a tourist that was visiting the island complimented this musician on his songs, it were original, and asked how many shows he did per week. This man, the musician said, not many, usually three per week. And this Man went on to say, why don't you do more, asked the tourist, wondering why the musician wasn't cashing in on his talent. The musician explained that the small amount of shows was sufficient to meet his needs and that of his family. But what do you do with the rest of your time, asked the tourist. He said, we sleep late, work a little, play with our children and spend time with our partners. During the day, we go into the town to see our friends. We spend time in nature, meditate and enjoy life. The tourist interrupted and said, I have an MBA from Harvard and I can help you. You should start by doing more shows every week. Then you will make more money. With the extra revenue, you can buy better equipment to sell your music online. And then the musician asked the tourist, then after that, with the extra money the online revenue will bring, you can hire a manager, a promoter, and a personal assistant. Instead of playing local shows, you can sell your music to the world, become famous, then you can leave this little island, move to London, Los Angeles, or even New York. From there, you can have anything you desire. And this musician asked the tourist, 
How long will all of that take? He said 20, maybe 25 years. And then after that? Afterwards, my friend, that's when it gets really interesting, answered the tourists. When you get really big, you can start buying and selling stocks or property, make millions more. Millions, asked the singer. Really? And after that? After that, you'll be able to retire, live in a tiny island village near the coast, sleep late, work a little, play with your children, spend time with your partner. During the day, you can go into town, see your friends, spend time in nature, meditate and enjoy life. The musician turned to the tourists. He said, with all due respect, sir, that's exactly what we are doing now. So what's the point of wasting 25 years? Asked the musician. Now, I'm not here promoting that we should not aspire for more in life. That's not the context of this sermon. But I want you to catch what this man is saying because what he was trying to establish is none of these can truly satisfy. Even with the most amount of toys you can have in this world, even the most successful person with the greatest amount of wealth in this world come to the conclusion that there has to be more to life. And so that brings me to the thought that we are living in a world that aspires to be fulfilled and truly satisfied. And deep within the heart of men, we find the innate desire for satisfaction and fulfillment. This seems to be the case as we observe our generation, that there is a craving to be satisfied. There is a desire to experience true fulfillment, which is why we can understand the reason we want more, we want bigger, we want better. But I want to draw your attention to a life of a person in the Bible that had everything he wanted in life, but came to the conclusion that none of that satisfied. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 1 through 11. Let's dissect the life of Solomon this morning and begin to understand what true fulfillment really is. I want to preach to you this morning a sermon I've titled, True Fulfillment. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Uh, therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely, uh, we have not the scripture. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth. What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold of, on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, 
I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hand had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity. The word vanity means empty. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. Now, Solomon is not referring to having all of this in life and indulging in the pleasures of it. He's not referring to that. He had everything he wanted. If you want to talk to me about a man who owned it all, who could set his eye on something and buy it, it was Solomon. So this is not the question of his concern in context to vanity. It isn't about not having something, but the reality of what Solomon is saying, hear me very carefully, he had all of this. He had everything under the sun, but he couldn't negate the reality of what was going on inside. He still felt dissatisfied. It was internal. You can have all you want, but still feel so dissatisfied and have no fulfillment in heart. Are are you getting what I'm trying to say? It's not a matter of the materials. It's not the physical uh, uh, items. It's not the car, the house, the land and the properties and, and all of, none of that. It has nothing to do. He's saying, I had all of that and they're not wrong but it didn't satisfy. So the point I make this morning as we go on is we have to establish the fact that all of that is not wrong to have and own, but we must never come to a place where we think that is what satisfies me. Are you with me? And let's establish that because the book of Ecclesiastes profoundly establishes this, reveals the state of a man who seems to have everything he wants in life. Yet from the entire chapter of Ecclesiastes 1 to 12, you can only home in on one thing. Solomon was a truly depressed man. The scripture that we read all through the Bible, or all through Ecclesiastes, carries with it a tune of a seasoned individual. This man had everything, like I said, but he's forewarning the coming generation. He's forewarning us that none of the above can truly satisfy. No wine, the Bible says in, in this passage. It says, I try to gratify my flesh with wine. He went on, he said, with great buildings. And then if you read, he says, with land, vineyards. 
he went on and he says with agriculture fruitfulness that means my land was bountiful it was fruitful i had all of that leisure luxury what did he say water pools swimming pools he had all of that right he had servants to serve him that's what scripture tells us he had servants male and female servants had servants born in my house in verse 7 greater possession of herds and flocks and it goes on is a silver and gold he had treasures of kings entertainment male and female singers right musical instruments don't talk to me about cheap stuff this guy had the real stuff I mean, he had the branded stuff. He had all of it made from pure wood, probably. It was the best of the best. He had talents. He had greatness. He had recognition. Look, look at this. People excelled him in verses 9. I became great and excelled more than all who were before me. He had recognition. He was popular. He was loved by people. And then he goes on in verses 10, whatever my eyes desired, I could have. And none of that filled me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever? You know, there are times, even for Yen and me, there were times when we thought, you know, if I can close this deal, this was when I was working in the real estate, and I'll be like, I'll be satisfied. The moment you close it, it you just said, that's all. Uh. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it comes to the fact that I'm grateful, I'm glad. Yes, we have finance, yes, we have money, but it has to be more to life than just money. And so Solomon is revealing to us the sad truth of insanity, a vicious cycle of men chasing after these things. And yet with all reality, still feel empty. This is the irony of Solomon's life. He had so much, yet felt so empty. So much, yet felt so empty. It must then be true. If this man, according to history, until this point of time, the last I checked, would probably be a few hundred billion dollar worth, from all the gold he had and from all, and they converted it to today's value. This man, who is the richest man, even probably up till today, I don't know. But in reality, if that was true, if he had all of that, all of that, which was not wrong, but still didn't feel satisfaction. Then, beloved, before we move any further, Let's establish where true fulfillment really comes from. Because it's not from any of these things. God blesses His people. God blesses us. God gives us things. God allows us to be stewards and that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with wanting more in life, but never, never come to a place where these things replace God. Happiness might seem like an elusive concept to quantify, but there's a science to it. When researchers talk about happiness, they are referring to the satisfaction with the way one's life is going. 
Jeff Sesh, the co-author or the co-creator of the World Happiness Report from the Columbia University, tells CNBC how it's done. It's not, primary a it's not primarily a measure of whether one laughed or smiled yesterday, but how one feels about the cost of life. Since the report began, Nordic countries in Europe, which include Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland and Iceland, plus the Faroe Islands, Greenland and Ireland, consistently turned up on the top of the list as the happiest countries in the world. Now the question is why? Why were people in these countries truly happy with life? What was it? It wasn't that they just laughed and giggled and they just, you know, were cheery and all of that. No, there was something about them that when you spoke to them, there was indeed an excitement and happiness inside of them, a true sense of satisfaction. And this man went on, he said, it's not a coincidence. Nordic countries rank so high on the happiness report because they have things like free education, healthcare, low crime rates, cushy social security nets, a relatively homogeneous population, and they're fairly prosperous. And so the point is, if we dissected what, it's being, what is being said in that, in that report, what seems to bring happiness? I can conclude it to one thing, when your needs are met. When you can be certain that every month you are going to be taken care of, when you have a security in what you're doing, and when you feel a sense of protection and a sense of you know, covering where you understand that I am going to indeed be taken care of and your needs are being looked after, this essentially births happiness. And so what, they ha what happens is because they don't have to keep pursuing a career path where essentially it becomes so consuming to the mind, what the people of Nordic would do is they had a very good work-life balance. Are you, are you getting this? So because they had a good balance in life, they were happy. They were one of the most happiest people on earth. But if you look at the culture in Asia generally, and I know sometimes it's unavoidable, we work and there's really no balance in who we are and what we do. And what are we chasing after? We're chasing after making sure that our children have a good future. We're chasing after making sure that when we retire, our life is good, that we don't have to beg for money from people, but that we have enough to live a good life. We are chasing after having some stability in income and all of that. When that is taken care of, happiness seems to be addressed. And so the reality of it is, when we begin to understand that God takes care of our needs, when we have truly done what we need to, real trust in God gives you real happiness. Are you getting this this morning? Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to labor. Yes. But when you begin to trust God the way the Nordic people trust their government, happiness is found. 
then you can truly be happy. That God, I'm, sur- I'm, I'm giving my life to you, whatever it may be, you will take care of me. Now, let's dig a little deeper in that and then let's close up this off this morning. It is an undeniable fact, beloved, that if there's one thing to be said and if there's one thing true, true fulfillment can only come when God is involved. When life is filled with materialism without God, when life is filled with all kinds of physical toys, but God isn't present, life becomes empty. Part of the order in life is for God to be present. Fulfillment, as I said, is an internal virtue. Solomon had everything he ever wanted. Solomon pursued his dream. He could buy anything he wanted. He could achieve anything he wanted. He was loved. He was recognized. He had all of that. But this man, deep down in his heart, he was still empty. Solomon dabbled with ways to gratify his flesh. The Bible tells us in verses 3, he tried ways to gratify. He began to try to feed the outward man with whatever his eyes desired. He wanted to just appeal to the outward flesh. I would give him everything he wanted. I would, I would begin to feed my flesh with everything it desires to have. And he chased after that. He tried to accomplish and achieve that. And only what did, what did he find out? He found out that his life revolved around one thing and that was satisfying himself. But look at what he says in Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11. In this text, Solomon says, what profit has the worker from that in which Ecclesiastes 3, Isaac 9 to 11, this is 2, 1. 9 to 11, what profit has the worker from that which he labors. I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Solomon wisely proclaims that there is nothing this world can offer that will satisfy the human soul. And why is that so? Why is it that gratifying your flesh, giving your flesh everything, you, you look at something, I want that. Uh, you see, I want that. You, you, you think that, you know, if I just buy that, I will feel happy. If I can just get that, I will be happy. If I can only, you know, be able to have all of that, I will be happy. But Solomon makes the case here. He says the reason why you will never be satisfied on this earth is because men was made for eternity. So the only thing that will satisfy us truly are the things of God. That's why I said earlier, you can have all the riches of the earth, but if you remove God out of that, life is empty. You can be the most wealthiest, the most successful, the most loved, the most accepted, 
the most uh, intelligent, the most talented person in all of the world. And everybody admires you, but deep down in your heart, you know there's something empty. Because the human heart was made to have God inside. And I realize, beloved, that earth is only a transition. That when we are so focused on this life, it merely, and merely having it good here, it will only lead to the heart desiring for more and more, and it can never be satisfied. That's no wonder, beloved, why it never seems to satisfy the human heart when they jump from maybe one career to another career and now they say, wow, I've got a better job and I've got a better salary and all of that and then give them in two years' time, they want more and then give them three years' time, they want. And I'm not talking about desiring to achieve more in life. That's not what I'm talking about. Please don't take the sermon to another tangent. I believe in excellence. I believe that we should get better. I believe that we should aim to have a life that testifies of God's goodness. When people look at us, they shouldn't look at us and say, oh, what a pathetic person that person is. I don't want to be a Christian. We should have something in us that when they look at us, we are a testimony. God has blessed me. But the point is, what I'm trying to say here is we normally, in most cases, try to feed an eternal appetite with temporal delicacies. Now, you know where that was done? In the Bible. In the Garden of Eden. Look in Genesis chapter 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So think about this. God created everything in the garden. God said, everything is good here. He provided it for us. But the human heart, the garden as they were there, exposed the dissatisfaction of men with God's sufficiency. So in essence, God created men to have satisfaction. God created men to feel the sense of fulfillment and yet there was a sense of lack of satisfaction. And you know what men did? Because of their dissatisfaction, they disobeyed God. I'm not happy. That one, one fruit on that tree, I, I need to have it. I need to have it. If I can just eat that fruit, I will be happy. And God said, no, don't touch that. Because the moment you eat that fruit, you are replacing creation or you are replacing the creator with creation. And so this is why, beloved, when, why, why we can have more, we can have bigger, we can have better and yet still feel unsatisfied. While others who have way lesser seem to lead a life that is truly fulfilled. Why? How is that possible? People who have lesser, and when you talk to them, they seem to be so fulfilled. Have you read stories about people who just sold everything they had and then went and lived in a miserable life 
in a shack and said, I had it all. I just want to feel what it, what it feels like to be satisfied with life. And they think that's going to satisfy them. Please, don't sell your all and go and do that. That's not the solution. You know what satisfies you? When you put God in the rightful place in your life. You have all of this and God at the same time. That's where true happiness is. That's where true fulfillment is found, beloved. That somehow you look at the joy and the gladness in the hearts of those who may lack, not have enough. Because true fulfillment is not an outward work, but it's an internal work. The wing you can trust God the same way the Nordic people trust their government. That God will provide for me. God's going to take care of me. I will just work. I will work hard. I'll put my heart and my soul into what God has called me to do. God, I know you are going to take care of my needs. When that becomes the case, you find true satisfaction. Now, when you read Solomon's uh, debate here in this passage, I like, I like the way he begins to put this whole thing down. Because I don't know whether you caught it, but when you read this whole passage, Solomon says 18 eyes. 18 eyes. I said in my heart, I said of laughter. I searched in my heart. I made my works great. I made myself gardens and orchards. I made myself water pools. I also gathered for myself silver and gold. So I became great. What I desired, I did not keep. I did not withhold my heart. I looked on all the works which I had toiled. This man was so self-absorbed with the fact that he was a self-made success. That's where it becomes empty, beloved. That he began to reveal that life truly revolved around him. It was about his satisfaction. It was about his desire. It was about his wants. It was about his passion. And as believers, true fulfillment this morning comes when life revolves around God. When our focus shifts towards pleasing and glorifying God, then truly, beloved, life becomes full. God is an essential part in the human heart. And because of the fall in the garden, men conditioned themselves to live without God. They kicked God out. They said, I can accomplish this. I can achieve this. I can become successful. I can see this come to pass. My talent, my gifting, my intelligence. I'm a smart person. It is me, it is me, it is me. And they forget that it all came from God. Life now revolves around them. And then you wonder why it seems to have no joy, no peace, no satisfaction, no fulfillment, because they have all these things, but not God. According to the order of creation, when God is removed, chaos ensues. We cannot remove an essential part of the human soul, beloved, and expect life to be filled. 
Now, Solomon closed Ecclesiastes with this profound statement. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Isaac, are you asleep? What, what? I said Ecclesiastes 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So let, let's hear the whole conclusion. This, this is what Solomon concluded life to be. He says, you can have it all. Everything your eye desires to have, you can have. Everything you can possess, you think that, oh, if I can just have the right mix of friends, if I can just drink and have a gala time, if I can just own lands and houses and properties and cars and all, and I can have all of that, I will be the most happiest person on earth. I can declare to you, beloved, that Solomon came to the conclusion that there's one thing that truly satisfies. Nothing wrong with having all of that, I'll say it again. We should all desire to be blessed by God. But I will tell you this as far as I'm concerned. If life revolves around just pleasing you and satisfying yourself, you of all people will become miserable. Nothing will satisfy. The, you can have millions of dollars in the account and you will still feel it's not enough. Dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. You know, Yen and I just this week, this sermon came from a lot of thought, thought process. I have to admit something to you, church. That with all admission and sincerity of heart, I told my wife this week, I said, I feel like I've not been doing enough for God. I told her, I said, you know, we seem to have everything in life we desire, we work, we do everything we can do, we have achieved. But it seems like, why is it that there's something empty? This is my, this is my story. I'm, I'm preaching to you what I was feeling. I said, talk about having a good family, talk about the children in school, talk about having finances, having savings, having... Isn't this the life everybody wants to have? But why do we feel empty? I have to tell you that during the MCO, there were things that we began to say, God, you know what, we, we feel like we need to do this and do that. And I can admit to you today, I felt like so many of those things that we were trying to do have kind of distracted us. And I'm hungry for God. I told her this week, I said, let's just go back on the streets and talk to people about Jesus. Let's just go and do it ourselves. Let's just take time and go and share with someone. Let's just go and pray for someone. Let's just go. I'm hungry, God. I'm hungry. There's nothing that I have can seem to satisfy that in me. Now I can compare my life back to the days when we had nothing. And we felt true satisfaction. So what am I telling you this morning? We cannot lie to ourselves. We can chase after all this world can give. But still, if you take God out, 
doesn't feel fulfilled. Let's close then with this. Ecclesiastes 12, 8. Solomon says this. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He says, when everything is said, and all, it's empty. It's empty. It means nothing. It's important. We need these things in life. They are, yes, they have a place in our lives. But the conclusion of Solomon's enigma is simply that nothing under the sun. You know what under the sun means? It means under the sun. <laughs> that, means, that means everything you can see under the sun. Everything. Never satisfy you. Never. And I declare to you, beloved, that God in His rightful place brings fulfillment to life. The truth be told, those who are chasing after the things of this world, those that leave God out can never truly say they are satisfied. They may have it, they may have material wealth, they may have all of that, but I can tell you they've never tasted and seen what life truly becomes when God is personally involved. This is privileged. This is privileges for us, beloved. We have as believers, and yet it's taken for granted. Philippians 4, 11 to 13, look at what Paul says. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how it is to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what is Paul's conclusion in life at the end of the day? In all the pursuits, he has been in times of dryness. He has been in times of abounding. He has been in times where things were going well. He has been in times where things were not going well. And in both of these, he came to the conclusion that it is Christ in me that makes the difference. So the more of God I allow in my life, the greater I find my life fulfilled. True fulfillment comes from putting God in His rightful place. It is saddening that today people are chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. I communicate with people that are chasing and chasing and still not satisfied. Not satisfied. And I wish I could say, you're going after the wrong thing. Turn to God. He's the only one. If you give yourself completely to Him. See, the Garden of Eden, and I close with this, the Garden of Eden is a picture of a man refusing to be satisfied with God's goodness. You realize that? The Bible says God created all things and then he looked around and what did God say? It was pleasant to the eyes. So God created everything perfect. And God gave it all that he needed to have. And God said, all these things you can enjoy. God understood the need of humanity. God said, you can enjoy all of this. 
But look at the heart of men refusing to just accept that this is what true satisfaction is. They aim for a fruit that God said, don't go after. Why was the fruit wrong? Why was it? Because it was going to replace God in their life. The fruit itself isn't the issue probably. The fruit itself isn't point. But the moment a man or a woman puts God on the side burner and pursues something in disobedience to God's command, there is no satisfaction. And this is what they learned. This is what they found. That true fulfillment, beloved, only comes to those who direct their worship towards God, not creation. Can I challenge you? Please, God, not man. Let God be the center of your life. God be the center of this church. Not me, just like what Pastor Mitchell always says. This is not the work of man. I can die tomorrow for all I care. This is a work of God. I am called to steward this. You are called to steward this. You know the problem? Is we want to meet our wants. You see, when you look at creation and the Garden of Eden, God met their need, not their wants. In other words, what God did is I will make you satisfied by taking care of your needs. Isn't that what the Nordic government did, right? Covered the majority of their need. A child's education, for example, a roof over their head, for example, and all of the, this, these were things that met the need of these people. And when the needs were met, the people were fulfilled. And that's true even with God. God said, I've given you this whole, God. I've met your need. But you know what? When they ate the fruit, and they dis, were dissatisfied, you know what they chased after after that? They are ones. We want that fruit. We want that. And that's why life becomes so unfulfilled and dissatisfying. Because we chase after the ones when God has promised us, I will take care of your needs. Your faithfulness, your, ex- your excellence in your job, in your studies, and wherever you may do, you may be involved in, is important. But you've got to learn to trust God, that He's the one that provides for our needs. That's a decision even Yen and I had to make many, many years ago. We had to decide that it is not men that takes care of our needs. Yes, people give, people are faithful, but can I be very straight honest with you this morning, it is God who provides for me and my family. And you say, but pastor, I give. I'm the, I'm t- I tithe. I, yes, but even if you stop, God will still provide for me. You realize that. So giving and tithing has nothing to do with taking care of. Giving and tithing has everything to do with God blessing you. That's the reality. Don't think you're doing a favor for me, my family, or the church. No. We thank God for your giving. But you know who ultimately provides? God. 
He's our provider. And I choose to say, God, I'll keep my eyes on you because you know how to take care of my needs. And that satisfies me. That fulfills me. And I ask you this morning, what are you chasing after? You want a prosperous life and you want to have more, you want this, you want that, or are you wanting more of God? Because if you set your priorities right, God will do what He needs to do to take care of you. And that's where life becomes satisfying. Not having a lot, but having God. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning, I preached a very simple sermon on the subject of true fulfillment. And there are reasons why there are people who are indeed are truly satisfied 